Part One, Chapter Twenty Four of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. The gray-haired manservant was sitting in the cabinet, dozing and listening to the prince's snoring. From a distant part of the house, through the closed doors, came the notes of a difficult phrase of a Dussek sonata, repeated for the twentieth time. At this time a coach and britchka drove up to the entrance door, and from the coach descended Prince Andrei, who handed his little wife down and allowed her to pass ahead of him. The gray-haired Tikhon, in a wig, thrust his head out of the hall door and informed them in a whisper that the prince was asleep, and then softly closed the door. Tikhon was well aware that not even the arrival of the sun, nor any other event, however uncommon, should be allowed to interrupt the order of the day. Prince Andrei knew this as well as Tikhon. He looked at his watch, as though to convince himself that there had been no change in his father's habits since he had seen him, and having satisfied himself on that score, turned to his wife. "'He will be awake in twenty minutes. Let us go to the Princess Maria,' said he. The little princess had grown stouter, but her eyes and her short, downy lip and her sweet smile were just the same as ever. "'Mosset un palais!' she exclaimed, glancing around with an expression as such people have in congratulating a host on a ball. "'Come along, quick, quick!' And she glanced with a smile at Tacon and her husband, and the footman who was leading the way. "'It is Marie practicing. Let us go softly so as to surprise her.' Prince Andre followed her with a polite but bored expression. "'You have grown older, Tacon, he said to the old man-servant, who, as he passed by, kissed his hand. Just as they reached the room where the harpsichord was heard, the pretty, fair-haired Frenchwoman came tripping out. Mademoiselle Bourienne seemed overjoyed to see them. "'Ah, quel bonheur pour la princesse!' cried she. "'You are here at last. I must go and tell her. "'Non, non, I beg of you. You are Mademoiselle Bourienne. I know you already from the friendship which my sister-in-law has for you,' said the princess, kissing her. "'She is not expecting us?' They went to the door of the sitting-room, where the phrase was being repeated again and again. Prince André paused and frowned, as though he were expecting a disagreeable scene. The princess went in. The phrase was broken off in the middle. A cry was heard, followed by the sound of hasty footsteps and kisses. When Prince André went in, the two sisters-in-law, who had only met once for a short time at Prince André's wedding, were still locked in a fond embrace, just as at the first moment of their meeting. Mademoiselle Burine was standing near them, with her hand on her heart, and a beatific smile on her lips, evidently as ready to cry as to laugh. Prince André shrugged his shoulders and frowned, just as lovers of music frowned when they hear a discord. Both the women stood apart. Then once again, as though time were precious, they seized each other's hand and began to kiss them, and not satisfied with kissing their hands, they began to kiss each other in the face, and to Prince André's unqualified surprise, they both burst into tears and again began to kiss each other. Mademoiselle Burine was also melted. It was awkward enough for Prince André, but to the women it seemed perfectly natural to weep. Indeed, they could never have dreamed of a meeting without such an accompaniment. "'Ah, cher! Ah, Marie!' they kept exclaiming, amid laughter and tears. "'I dreamed about you last night. Ah, Marie, you have grown so thin, and you have grown so stout!' J'attends de suite reconnue, Madame la Princesse, put in Mademoiselle Brunine. And here I was not thinking of such a thing, 
cried the Princess Maria. Ah, Andre, I did not see you. Prince Andre kissed his sister's hand and told her that she was as great a crybaby as ever. The Princess Maria turned to her brother and through her tears, her eyes, now large and beautiful and luminous, rested on him with a fond, gentle, and sweet expression. The young wife chattered incessantly. Her short, downy upper lip every instant drew down and touched the rosy underlip, and then curled again with a brilliant smile that made her eyes and her teeth shine. She related about an accident that happened at Spaskaya Gora, which threatened to be seriously dangerous in her condition, and then she apprised them that she had left all her dresses in Petersburg, and God knew what she would have to wear while here, and that Andre had greatly changed, and that Kitty Odunistova had married an old man, and that she had a husband for Marie, pour tout de bon, but that they would talk about that afterwards. The Princess Maria stood looking silently at her brother, and her lovely eyes beamed with affection and melancholy. It was evident that she was now following her own course of thought, quite independent of her sister-in-law's prattle. Right in the midst of the description of the last fete at Petersburg, she turned to her brother. "'And are you really going to the war, André?' she asked with a sigh. Lise also sighed. "'Yes, and I must be off by tomorrow,' replied her brother. "'He leaves me, and God knows why, when he might have been promoted.' The Princess Maria paid no attention to this remark, but following the thread of her thoughts gave her sister-in-law a significant glance from affectionate eyes. "'You are sure of it?' The young wife's face changed. She sighed again. "'Certainly I am,' said she. "'Ah, it is terrible.' Her lip went down. She brought her face near to the young princess's, and again unexpectedly burst into tears. "'She needs to rest,' said Prince Andre, scowling. "'Don't you, Lisa? Take her to her room, and I will go to my batushka. How is he? Just the same as ever?' "'Just the same. But perhaps your eyes will see some change in him,' replied the princess cheerfully. "'The same regular hours, the same promenades in the garden, the lathe,' said Prince Andre with a barely perceptible smile, which proved that notwithstanding all his love and reverence for his father, he was not blind to his weaknesses. Yes, just the same hours, and the lathe, and the mathematics, and my geometry lessons, replied the princess merrily, as though her geometry lessons were among the most delightful reminiscences of her life. When the twenty minutes which remained for the princess nap were over, Tikhon came to summon the young man to see his father. The old man allowed a variation in his mode of life in honor of his son. He commanded to have him come to him in his own room, while he was dressing, before dinner. The prince dressed in the old-time costume of a kafkan and powdered wig. When Prince André, not with the peevish face and manners which he assumed in society, but with a lively expression, such as he had when he was talking with Pierre, went into his father's room, the old man was at his toilet, sitting in a wide morocco-upholstered armchair in a wrapper, while Tikhon was putting on the last touches to his head. "'Ah, my soldier! So you are going to conquer Bonaparte!' cried the old prince, and he shook his powdered head so far as he was allowed by the pigtail which Tikhon was busily plaiting. "'You do well to go against him. Otherwise he would soon be calling us his subjects. Are you well?' And he offered his son his cheek." The old man awoke from his noon nap in an excellent frame of mind. He was accustomed to say that a nap after dinner was silver, but one before dinner was golden. He squinted cheerily at his son from under his thick, beetling brows. 
Prince Andrei went and kissed his father on the spot designated. He made no reply to his father's favorite topic of conversation, and his sarcasms on the military men of the present time, and especially on Napoleon. "'Yes, I have come to you, Batyushka, with my wife, who soon expects to be a mother,' said Prince Andrei, watching with eager and reverent eyes all the play of his father's features. "'How is your health?' "'Only fools and rakes ever need to be unwell, my boy, and you know me, busy from morning till night, and temperate, and of course I'm well.' "'Thank God for that,' said the son, smiling. "'God has nothing to do with it. "'Well,' continued the old man, returning to his favorite hobby, "'tell us how the Germans and Bonaparte have taught us to fight, "'according to this new science of yours, that you call strategy.' "'Prince Andrei smiled. "'Let me have time to collect my wits, Batushka,' said he, "'and his expression showed that his father's foibles "'did not prevent him from reverencing and loving him. "'Why?' "'You see, I have not even been to my room yet.' "'Nonsense! Nonsense!' cried the old man, pulling at his little pigtail to assure himself that it was firmly plated, and grasping his son by the arm. "'The quarters for your wife are all ready. The Princess Maria will take her there and show them to her, and they will chatter their three basketfuls. That's their women's way. I'm glad to have her here. Sit down and talk. I understand Michelson's army, and Tolstoy's, too. It's a simultaneous descent.' But what's the southern army going to do? Prussia remains neutral, I know that. But how about Austria? he asked, as he got up from his chair and began to walk up and down the room, with Tikhon running after him to give him the various parts of his attire. What's Sweden going to do? How will they get across Pomerania? Prince Andrei, perceiving the urgency of his father's inquiries, began, at first unwillingly, but gradually warming up more and more, to explain the plan of operations determined upon for the campaign. As he spoke, he involuntarily, from very force of habit, kept dropping from Russian into French. He explained how the army of ninety thousand was to threaten Prussia and force her to abandon her neutrality and take part in the war, how a portion of this army was to go to Strassund and unite with the Swedish forces, how two hundred and twenty thousand Austrians, with a hundred thousand Russians, were to engage in active operations in Italy and on the Rhine, and how fifty thousand Russians and fifty thousand English were to disembark at Naples, and how this army, with a total of five hundred thousand men, was to make an attack simultaneously from different sides upon the French. The old prince did not manifest the least interest in the description, any more than if he had not heard it, and continued to dress himself as he walked up and down, though three times he unexpectedly interrupted him, once he stopped him, crying, "'The white one! The white one!' That meant Tikhon had not given him the waistcoat that he wished. The second time he stopped him and asked, "'And is the baby expected soon?' And reproachfully shaking his head, said, "'That's too bad. Go on, go on.' The third time, when Prince Andrei had finished his description, the old man sang in a high falsetto, with a cracked voice of age, "'Marburg, sauvant en guerre. Tu se compte reviendra. The son merely smiled. I don't say that I approve of this plan, said he. I'm only telling you what it is. Napoleon, of course, has his plan, which is probably as good as ours. Well, you haven't told me anything that is in the least new, and the old man thoughtfully continued to hum the refrain, Tu se compte il reviendra. Go into the dining room. End of chapter 24